Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 81st program in this series. In this program, I'm going to begin in verse 16. I was in verse 16 in the previous program, but I'm going to address it from a different point of view. What's happening is that Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples at the end of what is referred to as the Last Supper. They are in the dwelling place where they have had their Passover meal, and this is a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples before they leave this dwelling place. Now, Jesus spoke to them about a few things, and these things that Jesus decided to speak with them about are important. These are the things that Jesus decided would be the most important things for his disciples to know at this time with this transition that is going to take place in terms of the ministry that Jesus is doing, the relationship he has with his disciples. He's about ready to be arrested and then crucified. That's going to be a change. And so Jesus has decided to tell them what I believe are the most important things for them to know. In verse 15, Jesus tells them, If you love me, keep my commandments, which is to reinforce the old covenant, the covenant that is in effect. And while they are doing that, they will eventually come to recognize that they do not love God because they do not keep his commandments, and they do not love Jesus because they do not keep his commandments to the satisfaction of God according to the standard, according to the requirements. So while they are doing that, there is something that Jesus is going to do while they're doing that. And this is where I was at at the end of the previous message, was that while they're busy trying to be perfect like God, this is what Jesus is going to do. And there will be a change in covenant very soon. When he dies, he resurrects from the dead. The new covenant will be in effect. And that relationship will be different. It will not be based on our obedience to his commandments. It will not be based on what we do for God. The new covenant is based on what our God has done for us. And that defines a new relationship. So going to verse 16, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And in verse 26, we can see that the helper is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. But the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. This is our God, manifested in this way that we can understand that it will be his presence within us. That's a definition of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus describes him as a helper, which is another way to understand the relationship between us and our God, that our God will be helping us live our lives in a new covenant, in a different way of life. 
But at the end of verse 16, he says that he may abide with you forever. Well, how is he going to do this? How will our God accomplish giving us the Holy Spirit in a way that he will abide within us forever? This will not be the first time that the Holy Spirit of God has dwelt within a person. This will not be the first time. The last time this happened was with Adam and Eve, and so it has been a long time, but this is not the first time. What happened when he was within Adam and Eve? When Adam and Eve were created, he breathed within them the breath of life, and that's a unique construction of words that describe the Spirit of God. That was what made them alive, a living being, spiritually alive. But when they sinned, when they committed sin, which was just simply eating from the wrong tree, they did not believe God, they rejected God in that way. When they did that, then God departed from within them. His spirit was withdrawn, left. They no longer had the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling within them. And everyone who was born from Adam and Eve from that day forward were born in that condition, in the condition of being spiritually dead. Now, when the new covenant goes into effect and we are born again by the Spirit of God, if we have children, our children are not going to be spiritually alive either. We're not going back to the old original creation. We're now going to have a new creation. And in the new creation, according to the new covenant, Each person has to make a decision to surrender to the new covenant themselves. And so things are definitely different. We do have a new relationship with our God, and that's what Jesus is defining for his disciples. But when he says that he may abide with you forever at the end of verse 16 here, how will that be accomplished? The only way that the Spirit of God will abide within a person forever Eternally speaking, the only way that that can occur is if there will be no sin that a person can commit so that the Holy Spirit would depart. The wages of sin is death. If you sin, you die. And in this context, it would be you would lose the Holy Spirit of God. And then what are you going to do? How will you get him back? So this is why it is necessary for the sin problem to be addressed and completely resolved. This is why the sin of humanity has to be resolved once and for all. Because if it's not resolved, if a person is made spiritually alive, it won't be long before they commit sin. It's going to happen. And when a person does, they're going to be spiritually dead. And then what? How are they going to be made alive again? And if they were, well, then they're going to consistently live in an existence of being dead, alive, dead, alive, dead, alive. That's not going to work out well. And so Jesus said that we're going to do this in a way that he is going to abide with you and in you forever. And that will be the end of it. The way that he did this was through forgiving the sins of the world, forgiving the sins of humanity. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, no longer counting our sins against us. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
we have many passages in the scriptures that we can point to that we can see that Jesus died for the sins of the world. When he did that, he made it possible for people to be saved. And this is the definition of the gospel that I present. The gospel that I present is the restoration of the Holy Spirit. It is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus died for the sins of the world so that there is no sin that will be held against anyone ever again. Unless, of course, a person would like to be judged according to their works before the throne of God, in which case, of course, they're going to be judged according to their sin, their works. That's going to be the judgment in that context. But that won't end well. They're just going to go to hell. No one is going to go to heaven according to their works or their lack of sin. If a person rejects the gospel, that's all they've got to look forward to. But for those of us who will embrace the gospel, we can experience the benefit of forgiveness. The benefit of forgiveness is that the Holy Spirit, as described here, will abide with us forever if we will receive him. And of course, there's more to say about receiving the Holy Spirit. But before I get there, I want you to see that the sin issue has to be resolved, that Jesus provides for the forgiveness of sins, and this is why. So that when a person receives the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will not depart from within us, and the life that we will have will then, by definition, be an eternal life. Those who refuse to receive the Holy Spirit of God within them they will remain a bunch of forgiven dead people. So they might very well be forgiven. God may forgive them. He may no longer remember their sins. But that's not going to help when the day comes when they are going to have an opportunity to enter and dwell within the place of the living. If they are not alive, then they will have no place among the living. And so God may forgive them, but that won't help them at all. They will go to the place that you put things that are dead. You set them on fire. That's what you do. You burn them up. And God will forget them. That's how it's going to play out. So in verse 16, when he says that he may abide with you forever, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to provide for the forgiveness of sins so that the Holy Spirit may abide with you forever. That's how he's going to do it. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And then he gives some conditions as to why the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. Why they won't receive the spirit of truth. They will be forgiven. God will forgive them, but they will not receive the spirit of truth. Why? Because they don't want to. Jesus makes a division between those who are in the world, those who are of the world, and those who are not. In order to make this transition from being a person who is of the world, in the world, in order to make the transition from that person to a person who is not of the world, you're going to have to be made into something entirely different. You're going to have to be recreated. You're going to have to be made into a new creation. You're going to have to be made into a child of God. You're going to have to be born again by the Spirit of God, and in this case, by the indwelling presence 
of the Spirit of God. And that will be the way that we will be able to understand the difference between those who are of the world, in the world, and those who are not. When you are born again by the Spirit of God and you become a child of God, a living person, dwelt by the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, when this happens, you are no longer of the world. Now again in verse 17, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive. And it goes on and he explains why. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. Okay, so why would it be that a person would not see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of God? Why would it be that a person would not see God? And I don't see this as a word that describes something that you see with your eyes. This has to do with seeing with your mind, with your soul, with your spirit, with your person, that you will acknowledge the existence of God. The world cannot receive the Spirit of God because the people of the world are those who will not acknowledge the existence of God. Not this one that manifested in the flesh as the Lord Jesus, that proclaimed the truth in the way that he did, that defines truth in the way that he defines it, that provides for salvation in the way that he provides for salvation. It's a package deal. Those people who are in the world who refuse to acknowledge the truth of his existence are those who can't see him, are those who cannot receive him, therefore they cannot be made spiritually alive. So God may forgive them, but that's not going to help. Even though he forgives them, they're still going to be dead. They are still going to reject him. What can he do with that? There's nothing he can do with that. So in verse 17, because it neither sees him nor knows him, obviously if they don't acknowledge his existence, they cannot know who he is. Well, how well do you need to know who he is? We don't have an absolute description that says this is how much you need to know him. But from what I can tell, from all that I have learned about my God, if you will at least know that he exists, if you will at least recognize that you have sin that needs to be forgiven, you know yourself you understand yourself well enough to see what your condition is between you and God, that you, you recognize that you need some forgiveness. If you can at least make it that far, you know that he exists, you know your condition, you recognize his provision, that he has provided you with forgiveness to deal with the sin problem, if you can at least see that, and you recognize that you are spiritually dead and you need to be made alive, then I would say you know him well enough. Now, I've encountered a lot of people who do not understand what I have described in terms of being spiritually dead and spiritually alive. I've encountered a lot of people who have no idea what that means. And yet I think they can still be saved because people will understand this issue in other ways that can be close enough. For example, if you ask a person, do you recognize that you need to have Jesus in your heart? 
Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that you have a God who wants to be in you? Do you recognize that, at least to some degree? And in general, people will acknowledge that. They will say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is in my heart. Yeah, my God is in me. I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. I I understand that, at least in some way, at least enough to acknowledge that I need him, I want him, I want this. You know, just to make it that far will definitely make you distinct from those in the world. It will. And while we may not be able to define this in a way that we probably would like, in an absolute sense. What we do know is that we have a God who will be making this decision. We have a God who is not going to dwell within a person unless our God is satisfied that this person wants to have a relationship with him enough, that this person knows him enough. And what that means, what it means to say enough, is a decision of God. It is God's decision to say, that is enough, whatever that is. And I believe that we can trust our God, whether you believe it or not, or whether you know it or not, God is trustworthy, and he will proceed to save people as he decides. He will do that. But from what I can tell, what I can understand I personally feel very confident in saying that if a person will at least recognize their condition, their condition that they have no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God, and they want to know who he is, they know enough about him. They know that he exists. They know that he has forgiven them. He's provided them with forgiveness. They know that he wants to be in their life, and they want to be in his life. If they can make it that far... From what I can tell, God will honor that. He will consider that to be a reasonable beginning. They will be born again, and they will be a child of God, and it's reasonable to use the word a baby. They will be a baby in Christ, definitely in need of maturing. They definitely need to grow. They need to know Him more. They have a long ways to go, but at least... They have a start, and that is something that can provide us with a sense of peace and understanding that we can at least move forward with, that we can have a well-defined beginning, and with that beginning, we can move forward. And so this is what I believe Jesus is referring to, is he is referring to this beginning, and he's telling his disciples this beginning is about to begin. It's not here today, but it's coming, and it's coming really soon. Again, in verse 17, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus tells his disciples, you know him. And you might wonder, well, How much do they really know him? It appears that they are a little confused. It appears that they seem to be misinformed. They don't seem to know very much. It appears they have a long ways to go. And of course they do. They haven't even been made into a child of God yet. They haven't. They haven't even been born again yet. The new covenant is about to go into effect, but it hasn't gone into effect 
yet. But Jesus says that they know him. They know the Spirit of God. They know Jesus. They know the Father. They know the living God. Well, how well do they know him? They know him well enough. That's how much they know him. They know him enough. They know that he exists. They know their condition. If they don't have a good understanding of that, don't worry. They can be busy with verse 15, and it shouldn't be long, depending upon their degree of sincerity, before they do have a good grasp of what their condition really is. They know him enough. Jesus says, you know me enough, at least enough for us to get started with the new covenant, for us to get started with a new relationship. He dwells with you in the sense that he has been around them. The manifestation through the Lord Jesus has dwelt among them. He is still there. He is dwelling with them. And he says, and will be in you. But not today. That's going to happen a little later. A little bit later, when the Holy Spirit goes to them and dwells within them, he will effectively resurrect them, make them into a new creation in Christ Jesus. They will be born again. This is coming. And when it happens, Jesus will be in them. Their God will be in them. The Holy Spirit will be within them. And they will be together forever. He will abide with them Forever, And that's verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He will leave them for a little while, but he's going to come back. He will come back, and he will come back in this way, as the Holy Spirit of God. He will dwell within them, which will be different from how he was with them before, before he dwelled with them. But when this happens, he is going to dwell within them forever. The relationship is definitely going to be different. In verse 19, he says, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. He's telling them just a little while longer, And the world will no longer see Jesus. He's definitely going to change the way that he relates to the world. He's going to be physically dead, but he's going to resurrect from the dead. And when he resurrects from the dead, he will be recognized as being alive. And because of what he will do through being alive, he will make them alive. It is at that time that he will send the Holy Spirit to them, and they will be made spiritually alive. That's verse 19. Again, in verse 19, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. And when they experience this resurrection... They will have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. They will see their God. They will see him in their being, in their soul, in their spirit. That is where we see our God. It is through this connection that we have with him that we know him and we know him more and more 
And the more we grow and mature in our faith, the more we know our God. Verse 20, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. When? When are they going to know this? At that day. At the day that they are resurrected. Not now. Jesus can speak to them about that and encourage them to pay attention and realize that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. But they're not really going to know that until they are made spiritually alive, until he dwells within them. That is when they will finally know that they are in Jesus and that he is in them. That is when they will genuinely know. And I will continue into verse 21 in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 81st program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 20, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples about what was about to happen. What was about to happen was that Jesus was going to provide them with the Holy Spirit of God so that they would be resurrected from the dead. Jesus tells them what is about to happen. The new covenant is about to go into effect. He does tell them that they know the Holy Spirit well enough, because the Spirit of God has been in their midst through the Lord Jesus. They know him well enough, well enough that when he comes, they will know who they have received within them. And when this resurrection within their spirit takes place, they will know something else. It will be at that time that they will know that Jesus is in the Father, that they are in Jesus, and that he is in them. There will be a transition in their lives, in their being, such that they will know more. They will grow more. They will increase in their knowledge and understanding of their God. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.